Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. And uh, we're going to be continuing our series today, um, Giants Must Fall. And uh, today's sermon is called, Who's Your Tribe? Um, so we've been, if you're new with us or you haven't been here for a little bit, we, um, we continue our series, Giants Must Fall. And that idea is that when God brought, um, brought uh, Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, he gave us a phenomenal uh, kind of like story lesson or analogy of really the journey that every believer goes on, how he redeems us from Egypt, which is uh, a picture of slavery to sin. Uh, and he sets us free from that, but then he actually takes us somewhere. He doesn't just set us free, he takes us somewhere. And he's taking us to the promised land. And so we drawing analogies from this uh, and to see what we can learn from our own lives. And uh, today's sermon is, Who's Your Tribe? And uh, if I, like, I don't normally give sermons titles. This is like in my computer, this is, you know, Giants Must Fall, part four. But um, who's your tribe? And if I'd give it a subtext, it would be, if you find your tribe, you find your destiny. Or if you find your tribe, it will lead to your destiny. And I really believe that God has called us um, to live communally, to live in relationships, to live connected with other people, and that he's designed into the fabric of life. And so you need people around you, not just because you have a relational need, but you actually need them to step into and the, the thing that God has for you and become the person that God wants you to be. And so he's designed life this way. Um, so have you ever done something? I'm going to try to explain a little bit about what I mean by tribe. So have you ever done something that scared you? Like really scared you. Like maybe it was starting a business. Maybe it was taking like a faith step. Um, maybe it was like having a baby because that's quite scary um, for some people more than others. Uh, maybe it's like surfing sharky waters. Like has anyone here ever surfed sharky waters? Anyone? Some people? Okay. Let me tell you, like when you're out there and, and your mate's next to you, you're twice as brave. Because also the odds now, like it's 50-50, right? Like if a shark comes... So I'm twice as brave as I was before. But there's something weird that happens like when you're doing a difficult thing, but you have someone there with you. So like having a kid is difficult, but then you find other people that are on the same life stage. And then you like, can, you can WhatsApp them at like two in the morning going, are you up? Yes. What's going on? How do I fix this thing? Mute. Uh, that sort of stuff. Um, even something like, like getting fit. Like getting fit can be a daunting thing. Like if you haven't done that for a while, you're going to need some people with you that are based on, on the, like, moving in the same direction, like, the whole thing of run or walk for life is that we get together and we run, which is weird because you can run by yourself. Like, of all the sports that you can do by yourself, running is one of them, but it's like, let's find other people that do it because we need community. And so, so often we, we find that when we're Together with other people, we actually push our limits on something. We actually start to do stuff we didn't think we could do before. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example from my own life. So I'm into uh, spear fishing. Uh, so I'm a spearo. That's like some l lingo for you there. Um, and uh, recently, I got to take my spearfishing to, to new limits. Uh, so I went to Australia for a holiday, and um, uh, while I was there, I dived deeper than I've ever dived before. I dived in sharkier waters, and I shot bigger fish. And you might ask the question, why? Is Australia that amazing? No, it is um, from a fishing perspective, but also mostly because of this guy. So, like, if you're not a fisherman, that's a big fish. That's a big 
fish. Okay, and that guy is Tim McDonald. He's a pastor and a spear fisherman. And I was like, perfect, I'm a pastor and a spear fisherman. So I literally hit him up on Facebook and said, hey, I'm also a pastor and a spear fisherman. You want to take me spear fishing? And he said, yes. So he took me out on his boat four times. So that's one of the fish he shot. Here's some more. So like, like, he doesn't do too badly for himself. <laughs> like he shoots more fish than me, I've got to be honest. Uh, this is another picture. I actually, I actually took that picture because I was the only one that hadn't shot <laughs> a dagger. So I said, look, cool, let, let me take the picture. Like, I'll just serve you guys now in my heart. Um, actually, I wanted, I wanted the fish more, but anyway. Um, but I was with it. So that's Tim, and the guy on the, the, the right, uh, I think, is Luke. And um, I, the other guy also was, a, he was American, he was new. But, like, they, they were a great group of divers. Like, the best Spiros I've ever had the opportunity to dive with. And so I shot fish like this, which, and you're like, hey, Gaza, why haven't we seen pictures of you holding fish like that before? Because I'd never shot them before. Um, and literally, like, I, I shot bigger fish, and it was sharkier waters and deeper than I've ever dived. Um, ha have you ever been with people and being connected to people where you're passionate about the same thing and they give you confidence to become a better version of yourself and the thing you're passionate about just because you're around them. Ever? That's what I'm talking about when, when I say find your tribe. Find your people. And I'm not just talking about, about relationships. Like, yeah, we're connected. We have some brides. Find your people who are passionate about Jesus and figure out how to do life with them. And we're actually going to, at the end of the service, we're actually going to give you opportunities to sign up for stuff because we're that passionate about this. Because here's the thing. God created life to be this way. God created life to be like this, that you need people around you to encourage you, to hold you, to put, breathe confidence in you so that you can supersede your expectations of yourself. I remember a time when we, we were drifting on some reef and there's a thing called drop weight. So drop weighting is when you take some weights off your belt, normally have a weight here, and you, you get a really heavy weight and you just hold on and it pulls you into the depth so you don't have to swim down, so you don't use energy down because obviously that's what you hunt on, right? So the less energy you use, the more breath you go. And he said to me, hey, Gaza, mate, you want to do a drop weight? I was like, yeah. Sure, never done it before. And he said, look, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people pass out like this, so it's really dangerous because you feel so comfortable and you forget that you've got to swim up further than you've ever swum before. But you want to do it? And I looked him in the eyes. I said, are you going to be there? And he said, sure. I said, okay. And so God designed life to be like this where there's people around you that are encouraging you. And, and this is why people will always find a tribe. You know, some people recently, the, the, the use of the word tribe in the, peaked in literature around 1850s. You can actually track how often these things, and that was the time when anthropology was like exploding, people going around um, and going, bumping into new people and saying, hey, I found a new tribe, and the other guys on the other end were going like, hey, what tribe are you from? Because you look different from me, you know? And like, this whole thing of tribe was, was there, but recently people speak about tribes as Groups of people that are connected to a common goal and have the same language and practices. So let me give you some examples. Think of runners. Again, like running is a sport you can do by yourself, but people want to do it together. Um, they've got language like, hey, I hit the wall. 
Like to me, that means I walked up to a wall. But to them, that means I ran until I had no energy and then I felt like I was going to fall over and then I broke through to the other side. I don't know what it, it broke on through to that. That's the door song. I'm mixing my analogies, yeah? Um, they also have some practices, some interesting practices. For example, they wear shorts that are generally shorter than most people would find acceptable. Um, and especially on long runs, they have, some, like sometimes they put plasters over their nipples because 40Ks of a... Like, you get how it works. Um, and, they go, and for the same reason, they've got a tendency to like Vaseline and nappy rash cream and stuff. Um, but they've got the sense of belonging. Like, they're willing to wake up. There's, there's people there in Durban North. They meet, like, 5 o'clock, 3 times. A, and they're willing to wake up at that time so they can go and run together. I'm like, wake up later, run by yourself, and then you can sleep more and, you know, still get to work on time. But for them, it's like, no, I want to do this in community. Then you get cyclists. They talk about slipstream, and they also wear strange clothes that are just a tighter version of the runners. Um, and they've also got a sense of belonging. And all these groups are built around. I mean, the, the most ridiculous group for me is something called a book club. <laughs> like, you literally took the most solo activity in the history of the world... And you, you said, how do we do this together? <laughs> because people are wired to be in community. People are wired to be connected. And so wherever we're doing, whatever we're doing, we're, we're finding ways to do it with other people. And God made it this way. And here's the thing. God wants to get involved in helping you find your tribe. And for some of us, that takes more faith than others. For the extroverts, are like, of course. I've got seven tribes. I've got like my running tribe, my work tribe, like my parenting tribe, like I've got all these in my high school. But for, like, for other people who have tried to find a tribe and maybe not, this is like, this takes some faith. And here's the thing, the reason it takes faith is because it can be difficult, and the reason it's difficult is because we feel vulnerable, because we actually know that we want and we need other people. And God's designed life this way for you to, to find a tribe and to do it together. And there's no difference in our faith. Wow, because in a tribe, God will speak to you. It's amazing. Like, we really believe God speaks to individuals, but it's really helpful to talk about that with someone else. Because other people can guide you. In fact, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's godly wisdom. Invite other people in. In a tribe, you're going to find strength. They're going to help you to stay the course. Being in a tribe teaches you to be vulnerable because you're going to rock up one day and because the person knows you, you're going to say, what's going on? And then you've got a choice to make. You know, nothing, bro. You just died, eh? Hey, busy. Or actually, there's this thing going on in my life that it's hard to talk about, and it's a little bit vulnerable, but that's actually the seedbed of humility. Very hard to build humility in, in life if you're not connected to other people because we realize we need other people. And here's the big idea to this, for this preach and what I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about. God will use your tribe to lead you to your destiny. And when I talk about tribe in the spiritual sense, I'm not just talking about friendships where you're together and you hang out and you do the same things. I'm talking about people who are connected around the person of Jesus Christ and are passionate about Him and figuring out what that means for my life. Passionate about Jesus and being His follower. And I've got to figure out what that means for my life. And I just want to add like a little parenthesis here. So I'm just going to go open bracket. Which way are we going? Are we just 
Open bracket for you, okay? Open bracket. Maybe you're new here and you're not sure about this faith thing yet. You're still making the decision like you're like, I'm glad for all you guys. And now you're talking about being in a tribe and this feels like a cult. And like, are you going to sign me up somewhere? Like, have you got like a little like, you know, thing where we help you? We call it reorientation, but it's just like helping you brainwashing. No. The thing I love about church is that it's here to help people who are figuring out what Jesus means for their life. And you might have just taken the first step in that. Or you might be 20 years in, but we're all on the same journey. And maybe you don't know what you believe about Jesus yet, but I get to say that you get to belong before you believe. You get to start taking steps. You get to start being a part of this journey, even as you're figuring this out. Okay, so when I talk about tribe, don't switch off and go, this is for other people. There's a tribe. We, I run a group of people just to help. Part of it is to help new people who are coming into our church figure this out. But part of it is to help people who got questions about the Christian faith. Have asked those questions and have them answered. And so there's a tribe just for that. It's like, hey, I need that. I, I need to ask questions. I need to be vulnerable and go, I've got some tough questions to ask, okay? Close brackets. Let's keep going. So let's get stuck into what God says about tribes. So here's the thing is that when... Jacob went to Egypt. Uh, the, he went there because there was a famine. He had 12 sons. And so he goes to Egypt with his 12 sons. And he gets to the end of his life. And he calls them all in. And he begins to pray a blessing over them. He actually begins to prophesy over them. And the interesting thing is, you can read this in Genesis 49, chapter 49. The interesting thing is he doesn't speak to them as individuals. He speaks to them as a group of people, even though they're not really a group. They're a family. They've got kids and grandkids, but they're not a tribe yet. But he speaks to them as tribes. And these became the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at Genesis 49. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. Yes. How's that? Eh? Imagine your dad praying that blessing over you. You'll grasp your enemies by the neck. You're like, yeah. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah was called to be the ruling tribe of Israel. They were, this is where all the kings came from. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, speaking about Jesus, who was from the tribe of Judah, the one whom all nations will honor. So he's declaring that you guys, you're made to rule. So either you're the king, there's only one of those at a time, or you're a part of the system that keeps the king in office. You're part of the system that helps the king rule and reign through you and your gifts and abilities. You're the ruling class. You're the guys that help get things. And the amazing thing in the Bible is being a ruler or being a leader is all about serving people. Not about being, making them serve you, but about you serving them. Zebulun will settle by the seashore. This is Zebulun was one of his sons. And will be a harbor for ships. His borders will extend to Sidon. Zebulun was like the Durbanites of the tribal world. He's like, hey, you're going to have a port. You're going to settle by the sea. You're going to harbor ships. You know what he's saying? He's, you're going to be the center for commerce and trade. Just like Durban is the busiest port in sub-Saharan Africa and all the gifts, all the goods that come to our country come in through, mostly through this port and through the rest of our country and even beyond us to this region. And it's the second biggest manufacturing hub in the country. Why? Because it's close to the port so everything can leave easily. He's saying, hey, Zebulun, you're going to be a commercial center. Why? Because it's going to be easy to trade with your neighbors. Issachar is a sturdy donkey. Let me explain. <laughs> Resting between two saddle packs. Now, donkeys aren't the most glamorous animal. 
And so sometimes we've got to dig a little bit to understand what this means. I remember a time when I was in a group and this guy was giving me a prophetic word. And he said, I've said this here before, so if you know it, just bear with me. But he said, I just see you and you're like a swan on the water moving. (laughs) I was like, you mean like an eagle? (sighs) Like no bloke wants to be a swan. Like... And like afterwards, I was like feeling a little bit like inse- prophetically insecure, you know. And um, luckily, I had an Aussie mate there. He's like, mate, I know you. You ain't no swan, mate. Um, and I was just like, that's just what I needed to hear right now. You know, that's a prophecy right there. Um, and then I actually went and spoke to someone who was a little bit prophetic and had more. And she said, no, no. It means that wherever you go, there's ripple effect and there's, you move through gracefully, but there's an effect of your life afterwards. I was like, oh, that's not so bad. Why didn't you say that, you know? <laughs> It's because a sturdy donkey. So in the ancient world, donkeys, they weren't very flash, but they were very good at carrying a load. There's actually a picture here. So I went to Simon Kong in Lesotho. And uh, Simon Kong is this little village that is the main village within that area. And people walk literally on trails over the mountains. And that's how they, get, they take their goods there. That's obviously the guy's taking his beers back. He's going to have a bit of party that night. But how many people is it going to take to carry two cases of full beer? Hey, just one donkey. You can send your lati if you've got a good relationship with the bottle store owner and say, hey, make sure this comes back full. But anyway, so they walk like 20 Ks. In other words, within the, the ancient world, like the, the donkey is like the Toyota Hilux. Not, not too flash, but it's very good at what it does, at carrying stuff. And then he says, when he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. He sees how pleasant the land is. These guys were called to be the farmers of the nation. These guys were called to be the farmers. There's a farmer with his Toyota Hilux, and he's, they love hard work. These were earthy types, and God's saying that about them. Gad will be attacked by marauding bands. Ooh. But he will attack them when they retreat. Yeah. Gad was situated on the borderlands of Israel. There where the Ammonites were in modern-day Jordan, and they used to come over, and they used to come and maraud. And so what he's uh, saying, they used to come and and raid. And what he's saying is that you're going to be the buffer zone for Israel. You're going to be the defense. You're like the border patrol unit for Israel. And if you're doing your job and you're doing what God's called you to do, you're going to protect your borders. Why? Because then the farmers can farm and the ports people can port. Be ship sailors. (laughs) Asher will die on fine foods. And produce food fit for kings. I love it. God loves food so much that he dedicates a whole tribe to being French chefs. He's like, hey, some of you guys are going to grow it, but you're not going to know what to do with it. You're going to stop at just an open flame barbecue, uh, bra we call it. But these guys are like, hey, with butter and herbs, like, let's just get into it, you know, like, and so that Israel can enjoy good food. But again, these guys can't do what they're doing if. The farmers aren't doing what they're doing, and the port's not doing what they're doing, and the gad is not protecting their borders. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful words. I have no idea what that means, but it's good. (laughs) But Naphtali actually means I've been entangled in a desperate struggle. That's what the name means. And so when Rachel's maidservant had that son, Rachel named it Naphtali because she said, I've been entangled in a desperate struggle with my sister. And so when Jacob comes to blessing Naphtali, he says, Naphtali is a doe set free. 
He sets him free from the struggle so he can enter into his destiny. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, devouring his enemies in the morning and dividing his plunder in the evening. Again, a warrior tribe. And we don't understand what that's like, why that's so important, but within the ancient world, like your borders were always under threat, and Israel was always at war. And so to have an entire tribe dedicated to the art of war on your behalf is a pretty good thing. Now imagine what it was like around the, in the different families growing up. Imagine what the, the French chef tribe was doing. There at home, and I go to school the next day. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I made the chicken cordon bleu and uh, some nice uh, braised onion soup. Uh, That's my best French accent of the day. I completely duffed it in the morning. That's as good as it gets. Eh? Um, like, that's what they're talking about. And have you ever been there? If you're passionate about something, when people are sharing ideas, it's, they grew up with this understanding this is what God's got for us, this is what we're going to do. There, what do you think was happening with Zebulun, the, the Durbanites, the port people? Man, they're talking commerce. They're talking trade. They're talking, hey, how do we get that oak's vegetables and ship it there because we can get more money back there? They, they know about this stuff. That's what their inheritance was. That's what their destiny was. And Benjamin, Benjamin was having rough and tumble with dad and playing rugby on weekend, the warrior tribe. Why? Because each of them had to do what they were called to do. And when you're around people that are doing the same thing, it builds into your life. Now, this for me was, um, generally speaking, as a kid growing up in church, there was always this, this sense of in which we were scared of how other people can affect you or infect you. Anyone heard the parable of the, the bad apple? Everyone heard that phrase, hey, that, that person's a bad apple? This is where it comes from. Let me tell you the parable, how I heard it. So it was a, a grandmother was with her granddaughter and they were there picking apples one day. And then the grandmother said, you can't put any apple with, even a, uh, with any kind of rot on it that's a little bit rotten, too ripe. You can't put it in, a, in the bowl with the other apples because they'll also go rotten. They'll go frot. So then the little girl saw this apple and it's just a tiny piece of something that was like, it's just going. And she said, no, it'll be fine. And she put it in there and a week later they came back and the whole bowl of apples was frot. And the whole lesson is don't be around people, bad apples, because they're going to make you frot. And there's, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, like there's some... Some base for it, 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. So it's not baseless. But what about the counterbalance? So I'm going to tell you about the parable of the good apples. So there's this mythical land where the laws of apples don't apply. So just suspend judgment. And um, what happens there is, is a bunch of good apples got together. And you know, when apples are, when fruit are ripe, they actually release pheromones, which is what helps, or some kind of cool stuff, I'm going to call them pheromones, that help ripen the other apples. That's why stuff gets riper quicker. And what happens here is that each of the apples was ripe, but in a different kind of way, and they let off their pheromones, and the other apples absorbed those pheromones and became riper in a different way. And rather than be getting to the point where they were too ripe and rotten, they just became riper and riper and riper. More and more delicious as they got the pheromones, the goodness from the other apples, and they bled into their life. And eventually those apples, they left that apple incubator, and they went and they found some bad apples, and they made bad apples good. Because that's actually the story of the early church. It started in Jerusalem, and there were all these good apples, and they were hanging out, and there were miracles happening, and the church was growing, and eventually they, they, they left, and they went to some other places, and they went and found some bad apples, and there was so much goodness in them that they healed the bad apples, and they made the bad apples better, and then there was like, like a whole bunch of incubators of apples, 
And one of them was in Syria of Antioch, and there were like some, the Bible even names them, Barnabas and, and Simeon and Lucius and Manian and Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, and they got together and they were hanging out in this apple incubator and becoming like super ripe and everything. And then eventually God said, no, but take Barnabas and take Saul and send them out to new places so they can start new apple incubators. Because the power of a ripe apple is greater than the power of a rotten apple. See, that's the, the, the counterbalance to the stuff is that God works this way. And I think back to when I first got saved and I was, uh, just wanted to serve Jesus and I was part of this youth leadership team and we just prayed, we prayed, we fasted. Sometimes we prayed all night, said, God, we want to see young people get saved. We want to see them get saved. And in that process, God just birthed in my heart such a passion for the lost because it was shared. I remember one of the youngsters, he was 15, he said, we're going to pray and we're going to fast that God saves friends. He, he fasted for five days. It's like, I'm amped, no food, five days, God save people. You know you're serious if a 15-year-old boy is not chowing for five days. <laughs> and then God took me from there, and so God had put that in my heart, and then God took me to Israel, and suddenly I was in a new Apple incubator, and there were just people that lived radically by faith. There was just such generosity. It's like if someone needed a meal like a, uh, and they couldn't afford to pay at a restaurant, just, just come, I'll pay for you. If someone needed a place like friends, just come to my house, you can have my friends. It wasn't uncommon in that group to give away your rent money two weeks ahead of time because I don't need it for two weeks. God will give it back. It was such generosity. And people used to fast. I mean, when I got there, it was like, hey, five days. I met this guy. He was like, hey, I fasted for 40 days once. You know, he didn't tell me. Someone told me. I asked him. I said, do you fast for 40 days? He's like, yeah. I said, how, how was it? He said, hey, day 38 was tough. <laughs> it was like tough. He said, oh, because he was only doing water. He said, I had a little bit of fruit juice. I was like, hey, fruit juice. Trump. A burger. But you know, when you're in an environment where, where you come from, hey, fasting for five days and you suddenly you're in this environment where actually it wasn't uncommon in that group for people to fast 30 days, 35 days, 40 days. It was very normal. You know what it does to your faith? Hey, because I thought five days was like, ooh, me and Moses, Jesus. But suddenly I come here and it's very normal to give away your rent money. <laughs> It's very normal to go without food for 30 days, to fast and intercede for God's breakthrough in your life or someone else's. I had people come over to my house sometimes at 8, 9 o'clock at night and spend an hour, two hours of prayer because I was fighting for freedom in my life. And they said, we're going to fight with you until you see it. That was normal. You know what that did to my faith? And then I came to Olive Tree, and God puts me in a group of people where there's this understanding of grace and a gift of leadership. And this idea of destiny, that we are people with destiny, and God infects me with that. And here's the question I've got for you. Who are you around today that is shaping your tomorrow? Because someone is. Who are you around today that is shaping you to be the person that God needs you to be tomorrow? Because God's got a call for your life. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Another version from the ESV, which is a, a more literal translation, verse 12, it says, their responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Equip the saints 
for the work of ministry. I love this. Because sometimes people say, how do you know when you are called to ministry? I know what they're saying is like, how do you know you're called to full-time ministry where someone church pays your salary and all that stuff? To which I can say, how did, how did you know when you were called to ministry? Because this says that you were. It says that every single believer is called to ministry. In other words, is called to be a minister, which means a servant within the church of God. And you know, this idea is what was at the heart of the Reformation. Remember Martin Luther, he nailed the 95 Thesis. Right at the, one of the things that was crucial to that is that we've made too much of being professional Christian. Every believer is called to be a minister. It was at the heart of the Pentecostal movement that broke out at the beginning of the 20th century. It was at the heart of the charismatic renewal. In fact, every time God does something new in the church, something that is at the bedrock of it, is that every single person, the absolute belief that every single person is called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I want my tribe, but to be a minister? Yes, you, to be a minister for Jesus and then you go, oh, that's intimidating. I don't know if I can. Have you ever seen what happens when you're around other people who are figuring out what it means to fall in love with Jesus and be a minister for him? You dive deeper than you've ever dived before in shark hair waters and you shoot bigger fish because you're in the apple incubator of life and you're getting their pheromones. That's weird. There's so many energies going on here. But you get their pheromones, you get what God planted in their heart, and it rubs off on you, and it changes your person. And if you're thinking of, what the, how do I become a minister of Jesus? And if you're asking that question, and it's just you trying to be a minister, it's an incomplete picture. It's how do we become ministers of Jesus? Because you're going to need someone beside you to encourage you. I get to be a part of a phenomenal group of people called the, the This Is Yours course. And uh, we, uh, we exist to help people who are either new to this church or new to church to ask questions and, and get integrated into the life of church. So if you're one of those people, please sign up. I'll be there. I love being a part of this team. But in that team, there's Estelle, one of the leaders, Estelle. She just loves Jesus. Like, and she's so full of joy. And whenever I'm around her, I'm like, you just remind me about how happy God is because you love him and you've got so much joy. And there's her husband, Pete, who is just taking such bold faith steps in Jesus. And I, I'm reminded like, hey, when last did I take those kind of steps? And there's Rudy who just carries this peace. And it reminds me that there's this peace that lives in Jesus. And his wife, Kristen, she, Kristen, she just loves people so well. And this lady, Sam, who's so servant-hearted, she just always finds something to do. And she loves serving people. And this guy, Dallas, who's just new to faith. And he's just so hungry to serve. And it reminds me of when I was that young. And I was so hungry to serve. I just wanted to get involved. And all of a sudden, what's going on? I'm in this little apple incubator where I get little bits of everyone that's around me. And it inspires me to be a better minister of Jesus. If you're thinking of being a minister on your own, you can't do it. <laughs> You need to be in a place where we minister and we figure out what that means. And I'm strong today so I can serve you. And maybe you're strong tomorrow and I can receive from you. But you need to be in an environment. And I want to say this. If you're visiting or you're new to this church thing, 
you don't feel like a pressure like to get involved. Like you can take your time, keep coming on Sundays, ask your questions. But if you call this your church and you say, this church is my home, I'm going to ask you the question, who is your tribe? Because otherwise we're playing church, not doing it. Who's your tribe? And if you don't know, if you're in that group, you're saying, I don't know who my tribe is, you're in luck. I did recently, I was mapping out Florida Road and everything we do here. We've got 33 different opportunities for either you to serve the church in, where you get to meet other guys who are serving, other ministers and build relationships, or groups where you can learn and grow in an area of your faith. 33. You know, 33 opportunities to meet other people so that God can get involved in knitting you into a tribe. So I want to highlight a few of these groups. So in the, the first one is This Is Yours. And uh, it's a phenomenal course. I'm a part of that, and it's a, a gift. So if you're new to this church, or you're new to faith, or you're exploring, or maybe you've been in church for a long time, and you want to know what makes you guys different, please come along, and we really, by the end of that, we want to try and help you get connected in. We've got this phenomenal course called Freedom in Christ, and uh, it's an amazing place because in that environment, you, you, you learn what Jesus has done for you and how to live it out. There's a finance course and uh, to serve you in that part of your life, there's a premarital, and that's for people who they want to get married and they found the person. Because if you have to do that bit yourself, okay, it's not like speed dating or anything. But if you if you found the person and you you're journeying towards marriage, we want to serve you in that space, and you can sign up for that. And there's a parenting course because parents need support from other parents. And so all of these places are opportunities for you to grow in your faith and meet other people. You can sign up for all of them after the service at our information desk, which is as you go out this door on your right, as you go out that door on your left. Please sign up. And then we've got four serving opportunities. And actually, most people make friends with the people that they serve with. And so I want to just highlight four, and the, these guys will be here at the end of the service uh, at the front of the stage for you to come and meet them. We've got Alec. From AV, this is Alec. He, he's actually, he's camouflaged. You can see. You can't even see him there. It's just a head because he's blended the florals and the florals. Um, but yeah, Alec is, uh, is on staff here and he heads up our production. And we've got some midweek opportunities and ways for you to get involved in that space. And if you've got like lots of questions, like I don't know what that means, go chat to Alec. He'll be here after the service so you can ask him. It doesn't mean you have to sign up or we're going to spam you. Um, then there's Alzan, who heads up our kids' ministry. And uh, Alzan is uh, recently taken over. She's uh, doing a phenomenal job there and, and really trying to take our, build our kids' ministry going forward. And we, we need people to serve in our kids' space because there's some parents here who need church. And, yeah, because they look at they with their kids all week. And it's like, drop them off somewhere. They can learn about Jesus. And your kids also need a break from you. You think you just need a break from them. It works both ways. I'm just saying. Um, and you can drop them off somewhere, and they can learn about Jesus. And there's these teams that really help communicate the gospel to kids in an age-appropriate way. And it's a phenomenal thing to be a part of. Uh, there's Justin who heads up our worship. So if you've got a worship gift and you get involved. And I just want to say, for both worship and kids, there's like, there is a vetting process. You know, because like, not everyone like you can worship at home, but church is different uh, if you're on stage here. And also for kids, you know, like because parents are like, do you just let anyone serve in kids' church? No, it's a process. You, gotta, you, gotta, you get vetted. Don't worry, we're looking after your kids. And then there's Derek who heads up our red teams, which are our hospitality teams. And, and these are opportunities for you to meet people so that God can begin the journey of helping you find your tribe.
And so often we, we spend our lives stuck going, I want that relational thing. I want that thing where the apple pheromones are happening. I just don't want to put myself in the bowl. And God's just saying, hey, take a step. Go sign up outside. Come meet one of those people straight after the service. Meet them. Have a chat with them. And if you really don't know what to do, come along tomorrow night to get connected and ask Ross all your questions. Because I won't be here, but he's brilliant. And he'll answer all of them. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have wired us for community. And Father, I just pray that people, my deepest prayers, that every person in this church would find their tribe, the people that they pursue Jesus with, encourage each other, hold each other accountable, believe the best about each other. God, we need the people around us. And so, Father, I thank you that you take the role in, in integrating us into community. In Jesus' name, amen.